Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. We believe you can divide your real estate investing career into two parts. And once you do that, you've got to carefully monitor your portfolio and rebalance it as you go. It's a big topic. We're going to cover it today on the Real Estate Guys radio program. Choosing the right market is one of the most important decisions you need to make as a real estate investor. You're looking for infrastructure, diverse and durable industry, and the right kind of jobs. So let's see if you can spot this market. It's home to more than 80 accredited universities, a Federal Reserve Bank, and more than 1,200 multinational companies. Need some more hints? It's one of the top 10 MSAs and is home to 10 Fortune 500 companies, including UPS, Coca-Cola, NCR, and Home Depot. Still stumped? It's third on the list of most Energy Star buildings in the U.S., has the second tallest hotel in the Western Hemisphere, and it boasts the world's busiest airport. Did you guess Atlanta? You're right. And there's so much more to discover about Atlanta, including the specific neighborhoods where fully rehabbed houses cash flow like crazy, yet sell to investors for far less than $100,000. So come take a look. Join the Real Estate Guys investor field trip to Atlanta, Georgia. For all the details, visit realestateguysradio.com and click on events. Experience this incredible market for yourself and hang out with the Real Estate Guys. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click on events. Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. We love to talk real estate. We do it every week. Let's meet our co-host financial strategist, Russell Gray. Hey, Robert. You know, this show really comes out of uh, some uh, teaching that you did many, many years ago. And I'm so excited to uh, revisit this topic, especially in the light of all the changes we've seen in the real estate world. There's been a ton of change and uh, people often look at their past in real estate and say, you know, it's not like it used to be. And that's always going to be true. It's never going to be like it used to be. But um, there's a foundational concept that we want to talk about, which is called getting to critical mass. And it's important that you understand this, not just as a real estate investor, but as an investor. Yeah. I mean, th- this is a throwback to just, you know, basic financial planning concepts. And uh, one of the first things that I found coming out of the financial services industry into the real estate investing space was that the concepts that were popularized in financial planning really didn't have to get thrown out the window when you became a real estate investor. In fact, many of those principles really applied and applied quite well with real estate. And yet when I got into the business and I started looking around, it was very transactional. There wasn't much strategy. There really wasn't much uh, talk about how it worked and really designing or building a portfolio. It was really a lot about just finding a good deal, doing a deal, managing the property, very tactical. And I thought that there was a lot of room for people to say, hey, let's take all the good parts out of the paper asset world. And how do we apply that to the real asset world? Yeah, that's critical. And I think if you study real estate investors, they tend to be a ragtag group of mavericks. Whereas stock investors tend to have something else they do for a living and put some of their money away with a financial planner. It's not right or wrong. It's just a different way of approaching investment. Real estate investors tend to be hands-on. They look at deals. They understand the physical property. But so many real estate investors just sort of go out on a mad grab for property. Hopefully, they get better as they go. They start to understand a little more about market selection and tenant-landlord law and hiring property managers and team members. But it's trial by error. It's not strategic. They don't sit back and say, okay, what do I want my portfolio to look like at the end? And what we're going to suggest today is that you take that step back, especially if you're new to real estate investing and say, how do I begin with the end in mind, as Stephen Covey would say? If I'm going to build a portfolio, you ask real estate investors, hey, what are you after? And they're like, more doors. I want more doors. I want more units. 
Okay, but but what does that really look like? And in order to step back, you kind of have to understand some basic principles of investment. Well, people start out and they say, hey, I want passive income. I want money coming in every month, whether I go to work or not. And that's a great goal. I mean, really, that is the ultimate goal of any financial plan, right? The goal is, is that you have spendable money coming in every month that you can use to live and enjoy life where you don't have to trade time for dollars. And it's the same thing a conventional financial planning wants to do. And by the way, it doesn't mean that you don't continue to trade time for dollars if you love your career, if you love your job. But kind of this first metric you get to is, could I create enough passive income for real estate that... I don't have to work. I choose to work. Boss optional, we call it. <laughs> I want to have a boss optional lifestyle. Yes. So the point is, is that people are out there trying to figure out how to do that. And that's great. And so they look at real estate naturally because they understand the income model. It's very simple, right? Somebody's going to live or work in your building and pay you rent. Okay, I get that. And it's going to come in every month. Great. And as long as it costs me less to maintain the property than it produces an income, then I get what's called positive cash flow. And then the question is, well, how much of that can I get? I want as much as I can possibly get. And then you start worrying about limitations about down payment and availability of loans. And then you have management issues and all that kind of stuff, right? So you go through all that. But the the, the question is, and this is what we try to cover in Equity Happens with the Equity Building Game Plan and in really making the distinction between investing for equity versus investing for cash flow as your primary driver. Now, it's important to make the distinction that equity comes from cash flow typically. Not always, but typically, right? So in other words, on an income producing property, the more income it produces, the more equity it has. And it's a multiple, just like stocks are. Stocks trade at a multiple, a price to earnings ratio. The higher the PE, the more equity there is in the stock. You look at a guy like Bill Gates, Bill Gates did not get rich or Steve Jobs did not get rich on the cash flow from the job that they were doing, not from their paycheck. They got rich in the equity that they built up in their company that they built in the stock that they had and when they had that liquidity event where they were able to sell their stock to in this case the public they had a public offering they became multi multi-millionaires obviously multi-billionaires and bill gates became and has been one of the richest if not the richest person on the planet for decades now so it's it's understanding how quickly do you want to get there and so there's a phase you go through right the first phase is this accumulation phase how do I get a lot of net worth? How do I get a lot of equity? How do I get a lot of value onto my balance sheet that can be used to deploy for cash flow later on down the road? Well, later on down the road part is part of this dividing your real estate investment to phases. The first phase, accumulation, and the second phase is when you've acquired enough assets that you can now recreate a portfolio or rebalance a portfolio so that it creates that spendable cash. Now, you said something earlier, which is just you have this idea of I want to get as much cash flow as I can possibly get. I think we do want to have that mindset that we're going to add to our cash flow, to our equity, to our holdings. But at the same point, you've got to do some math here and come up with a specific target to get to critical mass. How much money do you need coming in every month 
to be able to sustain your lifestyle. So we get this a lot. We get people say, my number's 10,000 a month. I don't know what the magic is in 10,000 a month, but it seems like so many people say, man, if I could just make $10,000 a month passive, that would be great. You say, okay, well, what's a reasonable cash on cash return for you to expect? If you go into the marketplace and put cash out there to work, what's reasonable? And just to keep the math simple, because it's hard to do math on the radio, uh, let's call it 10%. Let's say if you had a pretty good strategy, you could get 10%. Now, I know there's some people that say, oh, 10%, super risky. There's other people say 10% low. Let's just call it 10%. And if you wanted $10,000 a month, then you'd have to deploy $1.2 million at 10%, which would be $120,000 a year divided by 12 would be $10,000 a month. So now I've just backed into what's my critical mass number. What is this number that I've got to hit if 10% is the going rate, how much capital do I have to have to be able to deploy and how quickly can I get to 1.2 million? You have done the math and now the math will tell you what to do. So exactly. what do you do? You need to put a plan together to acquire $1.2 million of assets. Now, understand $1.2 million of equity. Now, not, that could be $5 million of the property, but when you take the loans against it and so forth, what's left over, what you could deploy if you rebalance your portfolio, you need $1.2 million. Now, this is a moving platform. We have things like inflation and deflation and what's happening to the dollar. And then we have the long-term value of money. And we look at discounting cash flows based on how far they are in the future and all of that. But again, to keep it simple, if we shoot for a target where we know what that target is, then in that accumulation phase in this example, if what I want is $10,000, a month passive, I need to accumulate $1.2 million of equity. Right. And so, and, and here's where people, you know, rightfully so get discouraged, right? Because they're like, okay, I got my first property and it's $100 a month. And I had to invest $20,000 of capital to get that. Yep. Okay. And you do the math and you find out I'm going to be 1,400 years old before I ever get to my goal, right? right? I need to do that 100 times and I've got to save up 20% 100 times and I've got to qualify for 100 loans, which is next to impossible to do. So yeah. you, you've got to break out of thinking in only one way of doing it. Sometimes starting with that first property at $100 a month positive cash flow is all about the experience and about proving the concept. It's not that that formula is going to get you wealthy. It's that it's going to get you on the path. Well, you know, that's such a great point. And not, not to digress, but let's do that for a little bit. Because one of the things we really encourage people to understand early in their investing careers, it's not even about the investment. It's really about the education and building your resume. Because down the road, you're probably going to want to attract capital. You're probably going to want to work with partners. It's a form of leverage, right? If you consider just going and getting a bank loan, the bank is kind of becoming your partner. I mean, they're not an equity partner, but they have a vested interest in you. They have a vested interest in your success. They have a vested interest in the property and they have a vested interest in the property's performance, right? That sounds like the basis of a partnership, even though it's not, you know, an equity partnership. The fact is you guys have common goals, common objectives, and, you know, having gone through a few situations where things go sideways in a deal and it didn't go the way as planned, uh, a good bank will work with you to help salvage the deal. And so they really can become your partner in a lot of ways. So the first deal that you get involved in, the first deals early is about learning how to play the game. It's about showing people that you know how to play the game, building your resume, demonstrating. It's about building your Rolodex or your contact list, your advisory team, your service advisors, your technical advisors, uh, and then ultimately being able to stand there and say to the world, hey, look, I know what I'm doing. I know how to do this. If you put your money with me, I can help make it grow. That's how I'm going to add value to the situation, get where I want to go. 
Last week of the program, we had our friend Jay Massey on the show, and he started investing in little houses and quickly got up to the point where he saw value in apartments, especially the kind of apartments he was familiar with down the C-class space where he owns a lot of apartments today. And he parlayed his knowledge, experience, and team from small investments into larger investments. So now he's able to put together a group of investors to go take down a couple of hundred units. He didn't start there. Wherever you start is just that, your starting place. And it's a way that you start to get some experience and you start to get some confidence and you start to get some relationships. So getting to $1.2 million, if that's our target, isn't going to come $50,000 little greenhouses at a time. No, and it's kind of a bell curve too. And this is another area people get discouraged because it's like pushing a rock, a big round rock. You push it and you push it and you push it and you're expending all this effort or trying to push a car and you push it and push it and push it. And then pretty soon it starts to roll. It's still hard work, but once you get a little momentum, it starts to flow. It starts to go and it starts to compound. Your efforts compound, especially if you're consciously making efforts to leverage not just the money, but everything you do. One of the things that I love about Jay just to throw back to last week's show, is how absolutely resourceful he is in terms of leveraging everything that he has at his disposal. It's his knowledge, it's his enthusiasm, it's his story, it's his family, it's his finances, it's the finances of other people, it's the skills that he has. All those things come into play. And when you keep compounding and keep compounding, one day you wake up and you're like, wow, this thing is just hitting on all eight cylinders. I'm moving down the track pretty fast. Only eight cylinders, really. (laughs) <laughs> well, and, and here's the other part of this is that it is you're, you're also you're leveraging time. When we talk about dividing your real estate investment career into two pieces, unless you're 75 years old and getting started and you only have you know a shorter window, you've got time. The acquisition period can be dozens and dozens of years. Yeah. So this is one of the things where sometimes we are misunderstood. And I want to try to make it clear because like I think the very first summit that we had Ken McElroy on. And I remember saying to him at the end of the Q&A session, Kenny, I don't think you're a cash flow investor. You always say you are, but I think you're an equity investor. And it was kind of like this awkward moment because, I mean, he's Kiyosaki's advisor. Kiyosaki's whole thing is cash flow, which is saying I'm, I'm against speculation. I'm against just buying something and hoping it goes up. I, I want to own things that are performing today. And yet Ken's model is to go buy underperforming pieces of property multi-unit apartment buildings and finding ways to add value, add a dishwasher, repave the parking lot, do something to make it worth more so it cash flows better. And it's based on this concept that equity is created out of a multiple of cash flow. So if the property is trading for 10 times its cash flow, let's say, and I can increase the cash flow by $100,000, I've just created a million dollars of equity. How do you release that equity? You could sell the property or what Ken does is he refinances the property using the higher income to service a bigger loan. And then he pulls out the million dollars or as much of it as he can get. And then he returns that to his investors. So now their investment in the property is as close to zero as possible. And he's providing them with an infinite return. And we've heard Robert Kiyosaki and Ken McElroy tell that story a hundred times. It's a great story, but I still stand by it. It's a story of equity. It's a story of equity growth. And it's a much shorter path because if you were saying, I'm going to save up that hundred thousand dollars, it's going to take me 10 years to get to my million. What Kenny does by refinancing the property, he realizes the million as soon as he's created the 100000 
And so you brought the money from the future into the present. And this is the financial component of what he does that's so brilliant. So yes, he's a cash flow property because he buys the property for the production of cash flow. He manages the property to increase the cash flow, but he realizes the real power when he unleashes the equity in the property, and that's through the financial strategy that he employs, and that's the key to compressing timeframes. We're talking about getting to critical mass and then rebalancing your real estate portfolio. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Live nationwide, you're listening to the Real Estate Guys. Find out more at realestateguysradio.com. If you love real estate and have always wanted to own your own business, listen up. The Real Estate Guys and their panel of experts want to teach you how to go full-time fast in the real estate syndication business. These next few years may go down in history as one of the best times ever to acquire investment real estate. There are deals everywhere if you know where to look and how to assemble the resources. The Secrets of Successful Syndication Seminar will show you how to make big money doing big deals from a team of experts that have syndicated projects totaling more than $1 billion. Don't wait for someone to give you a raise or create a job for you. Attend the Secrets of Successful Syndication and learn how to build a team, raise capital, find deals, and make full-time money in six months or less. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click on events. All the big players use syndication as a way to diversify risk, optimize profits, and earn big money. You can too. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click on events. Hello, this is Robert Kiyosaki. I'm the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And if you're serious about learning how to invest in real estate, listen to the Real Estate Guys. They really know what they're talking about. Welcome back to the Real Estate Guys radio program. Wherever you are in your investor journey, if you're just getting started, if you've owned for years and years, today we're talking about something that hopefully will serve you well, this understanding of critical mass when you're aiming at a target so you create long-term residual income how much real estate do you have to accumulate to get in that position and then we're going to talk about how you continuously monitor and rebalance your portfolio so when you're in the accumulation phase when you're really focused on building the equity as quickly as you can you know Kenny's thing forced equity I'm going to buy an underperforming property improve it and then unleash that equity or you could buy a piece of raw dirt and you could build something on it, or you could go out and you could do a found equity deal where you find somebody who's just a serious don't want her and you negotiate a great purchase price well below market because the guy's criteria wasn't best price that the market would bear. It was the most convenient transaction. I mean, you did that deal one time where this guy had assembled, I don't know, 10 or 15 buildings and they were all individually titled. Great, and it was a great job of assemblage. And he was operating it as one big complex, but when he wanted to sell, if he would have still sold it as individual buildings, he could have realized more profit. But he was trying to do a 1031 tax deferred exchange. And so he wanted to get out of the property, all of the properties, all 15 properties, all at one time. And in order to do that, he needed one buyer who would buy everything. And in order to get that one buyer who would buy everything and facilitate his exchange, he was willing to take a discount. That's found equity. Well, and that's true almost everywhere you look. People have this uh, this misinformation that it's always about price. In general, life is not all about price. Value. The minority of people 
And I, I remember the study from Tom Hopkins class years ago, but it was less than 30% of people are motivated solely by price. They want the cheapest one. They go into the grocery store and they buy the generic brand. They get the generic version of supplements and, and prescriptions and all. They want the cheapest. They drive the least expensive car with no options. Is that really who you are? I don't think you want the cheapest. You probably want the best value. Well, and there's a lot of false economy in that as well. Yeah, value is absolutely where it's at. I mean, if you buy the cheap box of Kleenex and use twice as much and you only paid a third less, you're, you've lost. So you can you can make those analysis all day long. And, and I think that that's an important point uh, when you're negotiating a deal. The point is, is that you're always looking to bring value and you don't have to discount the price necessarily to get value. In this case, you were able to deliver to the guy a time frame and a deal that was certain to happen. And that was a much more attractive deal to him than the alternative. So the, the, the bigger picture here is that when you're in the accumulation phase, it drives everything you do. It drives the markets you choose because some markets markets based on supply and demand dynamics, based on immigration patterns, based on what's going on in the local regional economy, based on what could be going on in macro factors, right? I mean, there can be all kinds of things going on where a market is poised to really have good long-term equity growth, whereas other markets are traditionally cash flow markets. You may say, hey, I'm going to be in these growth markets while I'm in my accumulation phase, and then I'm going to do 1031 tax deferred exchanges into the income producing markets later on in the career. And that's the concept of rebalancing is knowing where you are in your own life cycle, knowing where you fit into what's going on in the, the macroeconomic cycle, and then with real estate, knowing what's going on in the local market cycle and coordinating all three of those things so that what you are doing in your portfolio is optimizing what is available to you and what you really need and creating the most value for you based on your specific set of circumstances. So speaking of specific, let's give an example. Let's say you have $100,000 to invest. Just last week, you told me of a story where a gentleman had bought and sold a lot in Las Vegas, Nevada and made 40 grand. Right. Do you know what he paid for the lot? I, I don't. I just know that he had made the deal. Okay. So he bought a piece of property and he sold it pretty quickly afterwards for $40,000. Let's say that he was able to buy the property for 200,000 and sell it for 240. And that's probably about the numbers we're talking about in Las Vegas. And Las Vegas right now is a rebounding market. Okay, that is a pure equity play. There was no cash flow during the time he held it. He put money out whether it came from himself or investors and he made $40,000. Now let's say instead with that $200,000, you bought two cash flowing properties in Atlanta, Georgia. Two $100,000 properties. If you've not been to Atlanta, that's a pretty nice house. It's probably going to rent for $1,200 to $1,400 a, a month, something like that. Uh, let's say that at the end of the day, each of those houses is positive cash flow, about $250. So now you've created $500 a month of positive cash flow by deploying that $200,000. How long does it take at $500 a month to get to $40,000? Well, it'd be six thousand uh, dollars a year. It would take uh, six years. Would be thirty-six thousand dollars. So it would take seven years. Okay. So not saying one is a better investment than the other, and it's not enough information to make that determination. But it is a way to show you that based on having an asset, in this case two hundred thousand dollars, you can create based on the market you go into and the type of property you go into, and more importantly, what's driving you, either cash flow or equity a different type of return. Now, when you sell that property for 240,000 and make the the $40,000 profit, that it stops. Whereas 
in the two single-family houses, that cash flow, once it gets to 40000 it continues. And likely, seven years from now, it'll be more cash flow because the rents will have gone up and the amortized loan may have gone down and all those things. But the point is, if you're stuck in a paradigm of, I've just got to acquire more little cash flow houses, you're probably not going to get to that $1.2 million. Well, not as fast, right? You'll get there, but just not as fast. And if when you finally do get there and look back on how you got there, it's probably going to be largely because of equity growth. It isn't necessarily going to be because of the cash on cash return. And so the cash, we always say the cash flow services the mortgage, the mortgage controls the property, and over time properties will tend to appreciate. Now, that's a mantra we haven't been able to say a lot, you know, these last few years because we did see prices go down, I mean, in an unprecedented way. And yet the people who were properly structured and able to stay in the game over a 10-year period of time, which is also something that you always used to say, is like, hey, even if the property pulls back, if you stay in the game for 10 years, most markets will come back. Even if you bought at the top of the market 10 years ago, those many markets are back to the top of the market today. It's just the life cycle of real estate. You just have to understand that. Now, you know, when you understand that cycle, you say, oh, I'm investing for equity and I'm investing at the top of the market and I'm highly leveraged, you know, a downturn can catch you off guard. Personally, it caught me off guard in some markets. I did not anticipate a 50% pullback in real estate prices. And I certainly didn't anticipate a complete destruction of my main source of income, which was my mortgage company. And that combination was very painful for me personally. I learned a lot of lessons about that, right? And this whole concept of rebalancing is important and timely. The reason we're doing the show right now is because we have a red hot real estate market in a lot of places. We have equity growth happening. We have still low interest rates. We have now lending is starting to loosen up. I mean, I can tell you stories just personal anecdotal stories of people who are going out that really should barely be able to qualify for a loan that are being handed credit cards that are being handed loans and that's a sign to me that there's going to be a lot of money purchasing power beginning to enter the space that's all great news and if you do it right you're going to have the opportunity to make a ton of money and that's the exciting part but you need to know where you are in your life cycle. You need to understand what your investment objectives are and how to make sure that your portfolio is going to do what you need it to do. So this equity growth concept is a very important concept in terms of understanding how to optimize the equity that you already have. Like we used to tell Bob's big boo-boo. You, you probably ought to tell that story, Robert, because nobody tells it better than you. Well, it's just an example we have in our book of a property that my dad and his brother bought and held for 25 years and sold. And uh, the numbers were they paid about a quarter of a million dollars for it and sold it for over $2 million. So that is a huge success story. Everyone looks at that and says, wow, I want to do that a bunch. I want to buy a bunch of properties that are $250,000 and then 25 years from now sell them for you know $2.2 million. And that sounds like a great plan. And it was successful. You can't argue that wasn't a successful real estate transaction. But the reason we call it Bob's Big Boo Boo is because what Bob and Bill didn't do is they didn't optimize. And so the idea of optimizing is how do I take my portfolio and constantly, not every day, but at least annually, evaluate it based on my personal investment philosophy and this whole critical mass number. So the example we use in the book is what if Bob and Bill had simply done two 1031 tax-deferred exchanges over 25 years? 
Now, in reality, they might have done six or seven or eight. And if you're not familiar with the 1031 tax for exchange, we did a show with Ron McCart a few weeks ago, but go back and, and listen to that. But it's basically the idea of moving your equity forward and not being taxed at that time. So you preserve the gain. So if they had done that instead, if they had sold the property when it was worth, say, six or seven hundred thousand dollars and leveraged into another property, and then in another six, seven, eight years done that again. The results are astounding. Instead of $2 million, I remember one time you got them up to $10 million and dad started to get heart palpitations, so we stopped. But the reality is they weren't minding the store. They were successful. They had cash flow during that time. They had tax benefits, and it was a good success story. It could have been a grand slam. Yeah, it's a classic example of not rebalancing your portfolio. Every year that went by, they lost leverage, and the property became less leveraged, which means the benefit of the appreciation was not being magnified through the leverage, it was actually beginning to diminish. But increasing the cash flow. But the cash flow was increasing. And so you could look at that and go, yes, but if I were to get a bigger loan, then I would have more payments. And that would be the argument that somebody looking at Ken McElroy's strategy would have. And the rebuttal to that would be, yes, I have bigger loan and I have bigger payments, but I just freed up all this cash by bringing it back. And the tenants are making the payments. And the tenants are making the payments. Now, and now this is why it is so critical that you get clarity. If you don't know what you're doing, any answer is fine. And I think Bob and Bill in the Bob's Big Boo Boo story, they were in that class of investors I talked about earlier. They just kept buying property because they got the bug and it was working and they were at positive cash flow and the asset value was going up and it was all good. What they didn't do is sit down and say, all right, hey, Bill, yeah, Bob, how long do we want to continue accumulating assets until we convert our portfolio into massive cash flow? If they had sat down five or 10 or 25 years ahead of time and said, here's our target, it's 1.2 million or 12 million or 100 million, whatever the target is, let's arrange our portfolio so that we get to that number. And once we've reached that number, then we can say, you know what? Now we re-optimize our portfolio for cash flow. Yeah, because the thing is, when you're looking at your property and you say, okay, I bought this property to accumulate equity. I built it so that it would be an appreciating market or I've got a good strategy for forcing the equity uh, and improving it in such a way. Uh, so what's my entrance? What's my exit? And if it's a great equity property, is that a marketplace where for the amount of equity you have tied up, you're getting the highest return on cash in terms of cash flow? You make the argument that markets behave differently, and this is really the concept. So if I have purchased a bunch of properties in an area with a low cap rate, maybe it started with a high cap rate, you know, from my perspective, meaning it was cash flowing very well. And then over time, the value of the property went up. Great. Equity happened to me. But now if I were to look at the property today, I'd say, oh, I've got all this equity, but my cash flow on my equity isn't as high as when I bought it. What's the answer? Well, the answer is to either change the way the financing is structured on that property and go out and accumulate some more property in a better cash flow market because maybe the marketplace changed on you. We had that happen to us in Sacramento. It, we started investing in Sacramento like 2002, I think it was, and you could go out and buy a property at a 7 GRM. Yeah. And that was great. Within four years, it was trading at 16. 
Well, that was great if you were the owner and you bought at seven, but when you're buying at 16, you're like, okay, well now I've got all this equity in this market. I'm not going to go buy more property in this market because it doesn't cash flow that well. It's already at the higher end. In other words, people have bid the price of the property way past what the income would justify. I need to go find a new market. And that's exactly what we did. You know, today we're not going to be able to take you from A to Z. We're not going to be able to run you through the 30 or 40 or 10 years of accumulation of assets and how you go from little greenhouse to hotels. What we're trying to do is plant some seeds so that you think about this period of time in your life that is your accumulation phase and how do you set a target. Once we're at that target, then how do we continue to optimize and rebalance? When we come back, we'll spend some time talking about that. Plus, we'll play real estate trivia next. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Real estate investment advice right in your mailbox. Sign up for the free Real Estate Guys newsletter at realestateguysradio.com. Hi, this is Patrick Donahoe of Paradigm Life. Over the last few years, I've had the privilege of sharing the services of Paradigm Life with you loyal Real Estate Guys Radio listeners through our website, www.beerbank.com, and also on the annual Investor Summit at Sea. Subsequently, we have seen a variety of financial situations across the socioeconomic spectrum and how everyone, regardless of their situation, would improve their financial lives by following the system we specialize in. As a result of this experience, we have created an online e-learning system so anyone without obligation can learn about the infinite banking concept. This free e-learning program is found on our website, www.beerbank.com. So check it out today. The website again is www.beerbank.com. Hello, this is Dave Leninger, co-founder of Remax International. You're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Thanks for tuning in to the show today. We're talking about the two major phases of your real estate investment career, getting to critical mass, the accumulation phase, and then the fun part after that. Before we get into that, it is time to play Real Estate Trivia, your chance to win a prize by knowing today's Real Estate Trivia question. As soon as you hear the question and know the answer, send us an email to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Include your name and your physical mailing address so we can send you a copy of Tax-Free Wealth, the great book by Tom Wheelwright that shows you lots of ways that you can save taxes and more importantly, build wealth in real estate. That's today's prize. And last week on the Real Estate Guys radio program, we gave away a copy of Jay Massey's new book by asking this, the longest continuously running live radio program in the world originates in what building? The answer, the Grand Old Opera House in Nashville, Tennessee, site of the Grand Old Opera, which is now the longest continuously running live radio program in the world. It's been broadcasting every Friday and Saturday night since 1925, and having been there to see it live, it's extraordinary. As a student of radio, it's pretty amazing. If you love country music, there's nothing like it, and uh, what a party. Here's uh, today's real estate trivia question. Where is the National Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame? Yep, that's what we want to know. Where is the National Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame? Now, just right there in the name are some clues, but if you think you know or you want to guess, send us your answer to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Include your full name, your real name, and your mailing address so we can send you a copy of Tax-Free Wealth if you know the answer and you're the first to get it to us. That's 
Today's real estate trivia question, we're talking about assembling your real estate in a way that it builds towards a goal, and the goal is a target amount that gets you to what we call critical mass, when you now have enough equity that you can turn that into a stream of cash flow. Now, how do you do that? Could be through notes, you could carry back financing, you can just trade out of an equity-based market to a cash flow market, buy a whole bunch of producing assets, you can be part of a TIC, you can invest in a syndication, lots of ways to to convert equity growth into cash flow. But the point is you have to begin with the end in mind. Yeah, and being intentional about what you're doing. If you know where you are in your own investment cycle, Going back to the throwback that we said at the beginning of the show, which was the concept of conventional financial planning, when you go sit down with a financial advisor and they ask you about your investment objectives, they're going to talk about things like risk tolerance. They're going to talk about things like time horizons. Uh, they're going to take a look at your tax status. You may be interested in tax advantage type investing, maybe through a retirement account or something like municipal bonds that aren't taxed, things like that. And the point is they're trying to match up the investment products they're going to put in your portfolio with where you are, where you want to go, and when you want to get there. Real estate investing is exactly the same, and you can invest for income, you can invest for equity, you can be aggressive, you can be conservative or kind of blue chippy, if you will. You can be uh, hands-on, you can be a lot more active. You know, some people like to trade their portfolio, other people want to have a professionally managed portfolio. Uh, you could invest through a syndicator and let them do all the heavy lifting. If you, you know, that's, I mean, a lot of people, that's what Kenny does, right? A lot of folks uh, invest with Ken because they like what he does but they don't want to do it. You may be the kind of guy, Kenny does what he does because he likes what he does and he wants to do it. And so, you know, you, you can do things that way. Uh, I like the idea you talked about notes because when you're investing for income, purely income, you may not want any of the landlord hassles. You may not want the capital risk because the equity is the first thing that goes away in a market pullback. The note doesn't. The note only becomes at risk when the productive equity has been eroded, right? If I'm upside down, well, now the equity's at risk because if I have to foreclose, I'm going to get less than my note amount. My principal's at risk. And that's why a lot of guys that make the riskier loans that are the higher yield require higher degrees of protective equity. They're only going to make a 60% loan to value. They're going to have 40 percent room where you're going to take all the loss as the borrower before that hard money lender is going to step in and have to foreclose and take the property and sell it and still get all this principal back. Well, just using Bob's big boo-boo as an example, if what Bob and Bill had done is instead of just sell to a third party, they had carried back the financing. They decided, okay, hey, this is a good time. We've had it 25 years. Let's go ahead. And I think their loan at the time was like $400,000 on a property that sold for more than $2 million. I'm sure that person that bought the property was going to put down a big chunk even if they were going to get conventional new financing, which they did. So they could have just become the bank, carried back that loan, and now had a stream of income. Instead, they wanted the chunk of capital to go do other things, which is great. That's why it's different for every investor. You needed to decide. But when we get to that, that stage, that critical mass stage, we have the $1.2 million. Now what? Now we rebalance. We optimize our portfolio. And sometimes the thing that got you there isn't the thing that takes you the rest of the way. Right. And that's exactly the case. It goes back to this notion that property types, markets, investment vehicles, meaning whether you want to be on the debt side or on the equity side, 
those are all part of your decision criteria about what you want in your portfolio and what you don't. And the thing with real estate, I mean, that's really unique, unlike anything else, is you can add the personal use components. One of my favorite things about real estate is that when you get to the point where you're interested in income, you say, well, what do I want to use that income for? Well, I want to use it to be able to travel. I want to use it to be able to vacation. I want to use it to buy a ranch or buy a vineyard or, you know, all the different things people want to do in retirement. If there's real estate related to that, it's very possible that you're going to be able to move the equity from your long-term investment portfolio where you built it up and you're going to be able to convert it not just to income, but to lifestyle. And that's a huge point. At the end of the Day, what is it you're building for? And some of it is about your lifestyle. And, and think about this. If we're looking, if, if you're in your 20s or 30s, it's going to look different than if you're in your 50s or 60s. But at some point when you hit that critical mass point, what's your lifestyle going to look like? How much hands-on real estate investing do you want to do? A lot of folks are out there now, you know, rolling their sleeves up, doing the rehabs and building property and doing all that stuff. They're creating a lot of equity. And in fact, some of them are creating cash flows. That's great. But you probably aren't going to want to do that 30 years from now. You're going to want to hire it done or better yet, convert into something that's a lot less maintenance, right? Some of the most beautiful property in the world is also great to visit. So maybe there's a way that you can blur the line between investment and personal enjoyment. Absolutely. I mean, you know, a lot of people think, oh, I would just like to hang out on uh, a little cabin in the woods or something, you know. Okay, well, do it, but make it a bed and breakfast. You know, that way you're there and you can turn it into a business. It generates a little income. It doesn't mean you have to cook the breakfast. It doesn't mean you have to change the linens. It doesn't mean you have to do the marketing. It just means you need to own the asset and the people who work it work for you. You know, a friend of ours owns one of the most successful hotels in Southern California. And to this day, when you pull up to this beautiful entrance of this five-star hotel, you see a guy over there working on the plants. He's the owner because you know what he loves to do? He loves to garden. And what he does with his time is the same thing he's been doing his whole life, which is to garden. He just happens to do it at a really, really nice place. You know, when you get to that level, you can do what you want. Absolutely. And that's really what critical mass is about. It's getting to that point, that target. Now, some of the reality is this. Your critical mass number changes. You might set a number in your 20s and say, you know, if I could just get to $10,000 a month, right, which is the number you talked about. Well, you know what? When you get to your 50s, maybe that's not a big enough number. Well, this is a whole different level of complexity that every financial planner from way back has to deal with, and that is the continual change in the value of the currency. Yeah, so we'll talk about that when we come back because the only thing we know is constant is change, and there's lots of it coming. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Elms. Need help with your real estate investment portfolio? Check out the resources page at realestateguysradio.com. Live where you want to live, but invest where the numbers make sense. Even better, invest where you have a solid team to support you. We've been hearing great things about Memphis, Tennessee, and Terry Kerr from Mid-South Homebuyers. Since 2002, Terry and his team have been delivering turnkey rental property solutions ideal for out-of-area real estate investors. So if you're looking for affordable, trouble-free, turnkey investment property, call Terry. Use our resource hotline at 888-510-6838, extension 118. That's 888-510-6838, extension 118. Or find them in the resources area of our website at realestateguysradio.com. 
Hello, real estate guys, listeners. This is Ken Corsini with Georgia Residential Partners. I want to personally invite you to attend our upcoming field trip to Atlanta with Robert and Russ, June 20th through the 22nd. If you've been to one of our field trips in the past, you know what an amazing opportunity this is to get a personal tour of Atlanta while also analyzing a number of investment opportunities in our market right now. You see, at Georgia Residential Partners, we specialize in providing turnkey residential investment properties to investors all over the country. From renovations, to leasing, to financing and property management, our bread and butter is making an out-of-state investment as painless and profitable as possible. If you have a second, download our special report on Atlanta at therealestateguysradio.com or check out some of our current inventory at gainvesting.com. And again, don't forget to sign up soon for our Atlanta field trip, June 20 through the 22nd. I look forward to seeing you there. Hi, I'm G. Edward Griffin, author of The Creature from Jekyll Island, a second look at the Federal Reserve. And you're listening to The Real Estate Guys. And welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program. Tell a friend about the show. That's easy to do. Just point him to our website at realestateguysradio.com or have him go to iTunes and subscribe to our podcast. If you're listening on the radio program, well, thanks for that. We love our radio listeners. If you miss part of the show, you can always go back and listen to more, which is hard to do on the radio. You can't just back up when you're listening to the radio broadcast. So uh, you can go to the website at realestateguysradio.com and finish what you started. We're talking about uh, how you rebalance your portfolio, and this is critical. And really, as the markets have changed and as the world has changed, you might have started with a plan 10, 20 years ago that today looks very different. We see a lot of people today very concerned about the health, the global health financially of the planet. And because of that, they're making changes to the portfolio. Oh, it's huge. It's very, very important. So we started talking before the break about this notion of the value of the currency and the currency falling. What does that mean? It means things like gas and beef and beer beer and the things that you need to live and survive that are essential. You know, it's like dumb and dumber. Just got the essentials. <laughs> so, but they go up in cost, or in other words, they take more dollars and they really haven't gone up in value. What they've done is the dollar that purchases them has gone down. And so what we will typically do in a financial planning scenario is try to project an average annual inflation rate over the life of the portfolio and compensate for that. Now, fortunately, rents also fall into that category that they're going to go up with inflation and with devaluation of the currency. People are going to have to pay more dollars for their rent. So if you're owning some investment property, you're kind of shielded from it, but not all the way. Well, it goes back to making the point. So you would want to have your income indexed to inflation. So if I invested a bunch of money in bonds at a fixed interest rate and the cost of living went up, now I'm a fixed income investor living on rising living expenses. So what I'm doing now is I'm losing purchasing power because my income is fixed. In an environment where the dollar is falling, I don't want to be a lender. At least I don't want to be a fixed income lender. I'd rather be an adjustable lender so I can I can adjust my income. I'd rather be a borrower. I'd rather be a borrower, exactly. Now, here's the important thing to understand. As you move closer to your annuity phase, and once you're in your annuity phase, which is the income phase, depending on your time frames, you have to be a lot more precise. So for example, you may be able to say, hey, when you're 25 years old, you may say, oh, I've got a 40 year time horizon. I'm gonna say the average inflation rate is going to be 3%. 
because the Fed's targeting two, I want to be a little bit conservative. I'm going to say it's going to be three, and I'm going to adjust my numbers so that I could survive that. And that's great. When you get to have like a five-year time horizon, you've got to start looking at, okay, how exactly am I going to live? What products and services am I going to consume? And what's the inflation rate on those products and services? Because, you know, anybody that pays attention to the CPI understands it doesn't include food. It doesn't include energy. How many people can really survive without food and energy? Not too many. Nobody. So you have to say, okay, I'm going to create a basket of goods and services that I am actually going to be consuming in my retirement, if you will, or when I'm living on my income. And I'm going to try and adjust my modeling based on the inflation rate and the things that I actually plan to use and do. And you have to be more precise because you can't just throw it all in the blender. You don't have that kind of time. If you get it wrong, uh, and that's the other reason why understanding the market dynamics is real important. It's a much more volatile asset value environment we're in today, especially in the United States, than we were 50 years ago. And that's because the unit of measurement that we measure assets in, the dollar, and really all currency worldwide, is no longer sound as it was before 1971. After 1971, the world essentially came off the gold standard. Money became unsound. It became currency. And the value of storing value in currency hasn't worked. You know, we talk about that all the time. That's one of the reasons why we've got interested in commodities and things like gold and precious metals as a way to store value for the long term. We use currency to conduct business, to do transactions, but we use other things, real assets, to store value over time. And this has added a layer of complexity to financial planning, even for real estate investors that didn't exist 50 years ago. Absolutely. Now, don't get all wigged out about it. The whole idea is we're going to implement a little more planning and a little more strategy as real estate investors than we have in the past. Instead of just saying, oh, yeah, I want to get real estate, I want to get cash flow, I want to have money coming in, there's a bigger picture. And as times change, you have to adapt. And if you don't have your mind around what Russ was just talking about, it's critical that you do. In fact, he's written a great report on real asset investing. And lots of you have uh, been paying attention to, to our show and been listening to the interviews that we've done with you know people like Peter Schiff. And if you've not done that, if you're new to the show, you can go to our website at realestateguysradio.com and click on the button it says resources in there. You'll see special reports. And if you scroll down, you'll find the real asset investing uh, report and uh, you'll learn a little more about uh, this whole concept of the change that happens when currencies fluctuates and counterparty risk and a whole bunch of really cool stuff. So beyond the scope of today's show, but definitely worth doing. Yeah. I mean, there's just, there's, there's a lot of things you need to think about. Uh, the good news is, is there's a lot of smart people out there thinking about them, talking about them, writing about them. Uh, and if you plug into all of that, you're going to get good input. The important part to realize is that balance is the key. So we've talked a lot about international diversification. We've talked about income stream diversification, marketplace diversification. Uh, and then inside of your real estate portfolio is diversifying how much equity, how much debt, uh, and how you structure that, and how exposed you are to certain types types of risks and then monitoring what those risks are. And right now, uh, the world has got some things happening in it that, that create some risks. 
And the good news is the flip side of risk is opportunity. And there's a lot of people making a lot of money in a very uncertain climate right now. What you don't want to do in a market like this is be sitting on the sideline, especially sitting in cash, because cash is one of the riskiest places to be. And that's just one more thing to think about as you're looking at your portfolio. Now, if you're behind the eight ball, and many of you are, you're listening to the show and you don't have much real estate and you didn't get started early and you're in your 40s, 50s, or 60s, there are some ways that you can catapult ahead and condense time frames. One of our favorite ways is to raise other people's money to do bigger deals. Coming up in August, it's our Secrets of Successful Syndication Seminar. It's a great opportunity for you to get around people that are doing exactly that and learn the skill set necessary, plus all the legal regulations and meet a whole bunch of really cool real estate investors and syndicators. You can find out the details on our website at realestateguysradio.com. Click on Events and you'll see the Secrets of Successful Syndication. Come learn how to do big deals and make big money faster. Thanks for listening to the show today. We'll see you next week on the Real Estate Guys radio program. In the meantime, go out and make some equity happen. This episode of the Real Estate Guys radio show is brought to you by Paradigm Life. Powerful cash management strategies using life insurance. Learn more at beyourbank.com. Mid-South Home Buyers. Low-cost, turnkey cash flow properties in Memphis, Tennessee. Corporate Direct. Asset protection strategies for real estate investors from attorney and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton. Find these and other great companies under the resources tab at realestateguysradio.com. To learn how you can expose your product or service to the Real Estate Guys audience, call 888-489-7723, extension 4. That's 888-489-7723, extension 4. Or use the feedback page at realestateguysradio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week right here on the Real Estate Guys Radio Show.